Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget. I'm Lee Gowland. I'm Brian Davis. And this is the 49er Fearful UK Show. Welcome back, guys. This week, we're going to be reviewing the LA Rams game of Week 17, which was the final game of the season. This is Episode 25. And this week, we have Paul Hope joining us, as Brian is unavailable through um, his unofficial work. He is the social media officer for Swindon Supermarine, I believe you call them. Um, I'm not sure if they've got a website, but check it out if you want to have a look to see what Brian does on weekends and during some weekdays as well. So Paul's joining us today to review the Rams game. Um, and while I remember, Happy New Year to everybody. I hope it's going to be a good one, and I definitely hope it's going to be a good one for the 49ers. So the Rams on Sunday night, our season finale quickly turned into what would be the stuff of nightmares as the Rams ran out to a 31-10 lead at half time after we coughed the ball up on four out of our first five possessions, starting with a fumble and followed up with three interceptions. It's fair to say that uh, Mullins had a bit of a nightmare first 17 minutes of this game and even the normally reliable Juice got the turnover party started with what was the strangest of carries. I can't for the hell of us think what he was doing sticking his hand out like that. Going in at half time, the 49ers had over two minutes more possession and more offensive yardage than the Rams, yet were behind due to the turnovers and the Rams' average start and field position actually being on the 44-yard line. I mean, you can hardly score wrong when most of your, your drives are starting on the 44-yard line. At this point, Kittle was a country mile away from the single-season receiving record for a tight end, um, with only 29 yards in the, the first half. However, Alfred Treacle Toes Morris had already racked up 71 yards on the ground in the first half. And anybody that's uh, new to this podcast, they won't know our feeling feelings on Alfred Morris, uh, but he's been a bit of a disappointment. But he actually turned up for this game. So early in the second half, news started to filter through that Travis Kelsey had broken Kronk's tight end record and pushed the target out further for Kittle, who had entered the game knowing 100 yards would get him the record. The total now stood at 109 yards required against quite a dominant Rams defence. The 49ers defence started to show a real intensity about them, albeit they're still allowed 17 further points in the second half and the offense found a bit of a rhythm and added a further 22 points but more importantly both sides of the ball set out to do everything they could to ensure Kittle had a crack at the record and well what can we say that's the stuff of legends now he's in the slot right there and they're looking for him and he's going to break the all-time record. Kittle inside the 30, the 20. What an unbelievable year for George Kittle. Has just shattered the single-season record for receiving yards by a tight end. How about that? 
Yeah, that was a fantastic year he's had, definitely. So in the second half, Mullins had a much better second half and actually ended the game with an 88.2 passer rating, which is quite surprising given the turnovers he had in the first 17 minutes. Alfred Morris finished the game with 111 yards. He definitely looked like a player that knows he needed to advertise himself to potential suitors because one thing's for sure, he's not coming back to the 49ers next year. <laughs> what were your thoughts on the game, Paul? Well, yeah, Lee, like you said, um, you know, first drive, the, the fumble, I just, it took me back there. Can you remember the Thursday night game we had against the Rams at Levi's? And the Hoyer threw the pick yeah. six in the first seven seconds of the game, and we all thought, yeah. really? <laughs> um, and, you know, we all wanted Kittle to break the record. And like you've just summed up there, it looked a million miles away. Um <sighs> First quarter just was a bit of a, a, a blur to myself, really. I just kind of, for the first time in a long time, found myself switched off. And then slowly we started to come back into it. I don't know whether it was a combination of, like you said there, Alfred Morris, need to advertise himself, certain players playing for jobs. But, you know, a 48-32 loss against the Rams overall wasn't exactly that bad. But when you look at the four first-half turnovers... We gave them a three-touchdown advantage by half-time. We were never coming back from that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and that, that did make things difficult. You know, our defence, the last few weeks, we've suddenly shown up. And I thought on Sunday we lacked intensity under tackling skills again. We just seemed to be missing tackles. And like you said, it was the stuff of nightmares, the first 70 minutes from Mullins. He just looked out of his depth, didn't he, against the uh, Rams' defence? He did, yes. Yeah. So this might be controversial to say this, but as you've just mentioned there, over the last few weeks, the, the defence has gradually gotten a lot better. And I've tried to trace back. I've gone through some of the older podcasts where we were basically talking the defence are actually improving. And the game that basically started to step up was the game after the Buccaneers game, when we were all down in Manchester. And the only significant thing that happened that game, apart from us being handed out backsides by the Buccaneers, was the Reuben Foster incident. After that, it seemed as though the defence gradually got better. Now, the com they may be completely unrelated, but you have to ask, was Reuben Foster distraction in the locker room? Um, I mean, possibly one of the advantages, uh, sorry, positives that I've got on my notes is despite us being a losing team, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast I was on, we still seem to have a good togetherness. There's no reports coming out of the locker room of, you know, people wanting out or people mourning and whinging. And like you said there, it does seem we've got, since Reuben Foster was released, there seems to be a bit more togetherness, like a bit more of a brotherhood amongst the players. Maybe that was a, another reason why we were quick to get rid of him. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I remember when we were all in Manchester, I mean, we all commended the organisation for getting rid, but it was very quickly how the news broke and he was released. Um, and obviously, some people are, uh, on the group seem a bit unsettled now that obviously the charges have been dropped but I still think we did the right thing releasing him 
Yeah, I mean, so I was going to leave this bit until the end, but so all the charges have been dropped. And to be honest, from a football perspective, I'm not in the slightest bit, bit interested in what he does in his career going forward. I mean, the young man has shown terrible judgment, despite the best efforts of senior players, offering advice and, and trying to guide him. And I truly believe the locker room is better without him. But that's not to say that I don't want to see him learn from his mistakes and, and actually turn his career around. But as far as the football element of it goes, whether or not it was a mistake to release him, I'm not interested in that. I think we did the right thing. He's gone. He's not our player anymore. He's somebody else's problem. But I do hope, from a personal perspective, he does actually turn it round. So, negatives, obviously, it was there for everybody to see the turnovers. We have the dubious honour of holding the record for least turnovers during a single season with the Poultry 7. So, so this is the flip side of us giving the ball away. Um, we've only actually managed seven turnovers. The next nearest is 11 by the Colts in 1982. I cannot see this record ever being broken. I think we will own this record for all eternity. <laughs> Our name is going to be on that record. Never again will anybody get as low as that. We also hold the record for fewest interceptions in the season. And believe it or not, we didn't have a single cornerback with an interception. Both of our interceptions coming from safeties. Our giveaways are low high. I think we had 32 or 33 giveaways this season. It was actually only just over the halfway mark of the record. Unfortunately... That record was also set by ourselves back in 1978 <laughs> when we gave the ball up 63 times and we thought this season was bad. Um, the only other negative I've got is, because I didn't really want to focus on the negatives with, with us having so many fringe players in there, you can understand why some of the stuff happened and with it being the last game. Um, so I just wanted to keep the negatives light. And the last negative I've got is... It's the end of meaningful 49er football for the next eight months. But there's a flip side to that coin. So one of the positives I've got is <laughs> it's the end of meaningless 49er football <laughs> for the next eight <laughs> yeah. months. No, I mean, so, sim sorry, similar to yourself there, Lee, the, the negatives very much you've touched upon it. And again, like, you know, we're a young team. We've had injuries, we've been inconsistent. But like you there, I just thought, when you asked me to come on today, I'm not going to focus too much on what we did wrong. So I don't think I've got anything to add to what you've just said there. So positives, obviously I've just given me first positive, which is the end of meaningless 49er football for the next eight months. And when I say meaningless, I mean, obviously once you're out of the playoffs, the games do mean something. It means something to the players. It means something to the fans to see them actually put in the effort. Um, but as far as meaningless football, obviously we were never going to the playoffs. Um, that was mathematically impossible quite a while ago. So now it's just a case of hope. Hopefully nobody gets injured. Um, obviously, um, Lick and Tomlinson, he went down with an injury which we all thought was going to be a pretty bad injury. It didn't turn out to be his ACL; it was his MCL, and apparently he'll be back within three months. So that, that was a positive from what could have been potentially a negative. Um, so we were lucky there, or I'm saying we were lucky there. 
Lincoln Tomlinson was lucky there. So my next positive is we have secured the number two overall pick in the draft. And I believe, barring a trade by the Cardinals, I can definitely see Nick Bosa wearing red and gold next year. The pass rush isn't particularly a need for the Cardinals. They've got other needs that need to be addressed first. It all depends on whether or not those needs warrant a number one pick overall. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'd be very surprised if the Cardinals do go with Nick Bosa. I think they definitely need to sort out their O-line and if they could potentially get somebody to trade with them. And to be honest, I mean, the Raiders are probably the most likely team to do that. And I think if the Raiders did that, they'd be taking Nick Bosa. Then I'm not sure where they'd go, but I don't think they'll take Nick Bosa. Another positive, Aaron Donald was denied the sack record. I was <laughs> over the moon that we didn't allow him to get that record. I, th I think there'd have been many people upset if we'd let the Rams or a Rams player get the sack record against us. And the last positive was Mullins recovered from a dreadful start and ended up making some great throws. Um, I've also got another line here. Alfred... <laughs> Alfred Morris <laughs> woke from his slumber and gave us something to cheer as we waved him goodbye. What positives have you got for us, Paul? Yeah, I mean, Alfred Morris, he said there, to be fair, he's had a lot of stick amongst our group. But Sunday was by far his best game. I mean, what was it, 111 yards on the night, 16 carries yeah. and a touchdown? Yeah. I don't know about you, but I was quite happy to see him score the touchdown. Thought it was a fitting end to his career. Um, like you said, Nick Mullins, he recovered it really well in the second half. Um, and I kind of, I thought it was nice that he threw the pass to Kittle for Kittle to take it to the house for the uh, the record. And again, he didn't just break the record, Kittle. Typical style, like against the Raiders, he took it to the house for a touchdown. Thought that was like a yeah. nice fitting end. Um, and obviously, my main positive is as you've all touched upon. George Kittle breaking the record. So on the flip side, you mentioned that we've got the record for the, you know, the bad things, so to speak. But it's nice to see us have one shining light, which is that record, which hopefully will stand the test of time. So he actually ended up with two records, George Kittle. He ended up with the most receiving yards by a tight end in a single season. And he also ended up with the most yards after the catch for a tight end in a single season. So he set both of those records. And if, if we go back uh, a few weeks to the Denver Broncos game, obviously he was, he was only, what was it, five yards away from setting the single game oh, record for a tight right. end? Yeah. So he could have had that one as well. So actually, you've just touched upon that. One of the big things I was pleased about is that game there against Denver when Shanahan seemed to not get the ball to win and we were all urging that he needed five yards. It was nice to see on Sunday that the whole team thought, right, we're going to get Kittle this record. I think there was, wasn't, didn't the Rams, didn't we play, um, Exum make a play where he seemed to blitz on his own? He did, yeah. To set it up. And you just think, I thought the togetherness was there. And, like, you know, I, I just was really happy that we finally managed to get something right. <laughs> so I need to go back and have a look at that play because I'm not sure if I'm understanding what um, Kyle Shanahan said because Shanahan came out and said oh yeah Exum blitzed on his own 
I don't know if he actually meant he was the only player blitzing on that player, or there was other players blitzing. He wasn't supposed to blitz, but he decided to blitz. So I, I, I don't know what he meant by that. So I'm going to have to have a look at that again, just to see if uh, Exum decided right. I'm blitzing. I'm, I'm just going to get this ball for get this ball back for kill. So that'll be an interesting one to uh, pick out. And like yourself, I'm glad that Donald didn't break the record against us. I mean, the first half, it looked like he was on course for it. And maybe just my own personal opinion, but I definitely felt the Rams were trying to spoil the chance for Kittle to get the record at the end. Like that play we've just touched about. I still don't know why they didn't punt the ball away. Like, why were they going for it on fourth and four with nothing to play? It just seems as if it was they were trying to delay us a little bit. See, I'm not sure about that because obviously... I can understand why they wanted to go for it so that would end the game because if they had getting that, that was it, game over. Um, they just ran the clock out and that's it, everybody off the field. And that means there's no more risk to any of their players. Although they shouldn't really have had starters on at that uh, point in the game anyway, given that they're already in the playoffs. Yeah. We weren't going to beat them. Um, it was quite a risk to keep players in there. Obviously, he did take uh, Aaron Donald out, I think, halfway through the uh, the fourth quarter. But that still left it late to, to take a, a star player like that out when there's nothing really more on the line for that team. Um but I think it was I think it's generally the hatred between the two teams. I think that would have been it. That they wanted to stop that record happening. J- just as we wanted to stop the Aaron Donald record. Yeah, I suppose we did want it like that. Yeah. I think I think the Rams as well, though, took a lesson from last year when they rested all the starters, didn't they? And then they went into the playoffs and didn't do so so well. So whether that was in the back of their minds this, this against us. But um, like you said, try not to focus too much on the negatives. I think overall, or Richie James as well, sorry, getting his first offensive touchdown towards the end of the first yeah. half. I thought that was quite a nice way for us to go in. Seemed, I think we did a 75-yard drive in under four minutes. And obviously after his punt return against the Seahawks, it was nice to see him get his first offensive touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully he's got a big future with us. Um, obviously, Dante Pettis was on IR for that game. So there's Richie James got a few more targets than he has been getting. Um, Trent Taylor. Trent Taylor was used a bit more than what we've used him this season. And hopefully, hopefully he'll rebound next season. Um, I know he's struggled this year after the surgery he had in the off-season and he hasn't been the player he was in his first season with us. So hopefully he will rebound. So outside of negatives and positives, the other news I want to talk about, we've already discussed Reuben Foster. So that one's that one's put to bed now. One of the other ones was Antonio Brown. Would I trade for him? Without a doubt, I would, but I certainly wouldn't be giving up this year's uh, first-round pick. Our second-round pick is pretty much as good as the late uh, one. So our second-round pick is going to be number 34. It's only two out of the first uh, round. So I'd be quite happy to give up this year's two and next year's two, and I believe that would be enough to secure his services. There's a little bit of a sticking point for the Steelers in that they're going to have a $21 million cap hit. Um, next season, unless Brown signs a new contract when a trade deal has been worked out. And I believe that can happen. So 
I'm, I'm not entirely sure of the technicalities of it all, but basically if the Steelers and 49ers agreed on a compensation for the trade, i.e. draft picks, once they've done that and before the trade has gone through, Antonio Brown could sign a new contract. That means the Steelers don't get that £21 million cap hit next season. But I think to do that, that has to be done in a certain time frame as well. And I'm not sure when that is. But hopefully right. somebody will be able to uh, maybe reply when I upload the podcast um, after they listen to it, obviously. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. basically say, how does this work? When can... When can he sign a new contract? Because at the moment, I don't think any players can sign a new contract until after the the new season starts in March. Right. So okay. we might have to wait until then. Um, but yeah, I mean, Antonio Brown, it, he's the type of receiver that Shanahan's been craving for, a, a true number one receiver. And with Brown, McKinnon in the backfield, Garoppolo back under centre, We've got George Kittle. Maybe he's add a little bit of strength to the O-line again. We should have a very good chance, as long as um, injuries don't crop up. And that's another thing I'll get on to. We should have a very good chance at uh, either have, definitely having a positive record next season, but even challenging for the playoffs. Um, and, and while I remember, so the injuries... Obviously, news came out of Santa Clara yesterday that we have fired the strength and conditioning coach. And I think that is an excellent move because we have suffered from horrendous injuries all season. Yeah, I agree. I think, like you said, that was that broke yesterday, didn't it? Ray, White, Ray Wright sorry, was fired. Um, I don't think it's a big surprise to anyone who's watched the 49ers this season. Um, like you said... Going on there, Antonio Brown, of course we'd have him. You'd be stupid not to. The only thing I'm confused about is I've seen some things online where if he waits until June, doesn't the cap hit for the Steelers reduce or something? Or I, I don't. So That's I've seen correct, something yeah. along. So, and like you said, that I wouldn't want to be giving up too much in this draft because we've got other areas we need to strengthen. But definitely intriguing news that's been coming out the next last few days with him following all the 49ers on Twitter and liking all the posts. So be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's also rumours that um, we may be uh, trading for Odell Beckham Jr., which I found absolutely amazing. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on. Um, I haven't seen anything solid from a reliable source, but there's plenty of the unreliable sources <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mentioned it on both Twitter, Twitter and on the web. So yeah, that's a, that's another one to keep an eye open for. Not sure which one I'd prefer out of the two of them. Um, I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. has been as consistent as Antonio Brown, who's definitely been the number one receiver for a good few years now. So the only other thing i've got to mention is obviously the hall of fame finalists were announced and once again john lynch is there so fingers crossed he gets the nod and gets a gold jacket come august anything else to add paul no i think you've touched upon everything there like you said it'd be nice to see lynch you know get his gold jacket 
Um, like you said there, the news that we're, we're looking at the likes of Brown and Beckham obviously holds well for us moving forward. And like you said, let's just see what the off-season brings. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to seeing what free agency in the draft brings us. Um, and obviously everybody else getting fit again. So looking forward to next season already. It's only eight months away. <laughs> Not far. <laughs> Right, guys, thanks for listening again. And as I said at the start of the show, Happy New Year. I hope it's a fantastic year for everybody personally. And uh, I also hope it's a fantastic year for collectively ourselves as a 49er fan group as well. Um, Look after yourselves. This isn't our final podcast of the season. We will be back to do a season review and we'll also fit in some free agency and draft podcasts as well. Um, And we also think about doing some fan features. So we'll keep on going. Obviously, it's not going to be two podcasts a week. Um, And maybe it's be one every fortnight or maybe it's even one a month. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how much content there is um, and whether or not there's actually any appetite to listen to that content in the off-season. So, guys, once again... Thanks a lot. Thank you, Paul. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on again. Catch you later. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark, Garrison Hurst, Stiff Farm going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget.